Teo Cheng Kiat took the stand. Tell us about your wife, a voice might have asked. We've been married for 20 years. Mr. Teo Cheng Kiat looked towards his wife. And I love her. There is no question that I love her for every day of those 20 years. He turned his attention to the room. And as far as he could tell, he had everyone convinced. So, when is the wedding anniversary? The voice replied. Um, sorry? What do you mean? Mr. Teo was confused. I mean, when is the date that you married Madame Tan Lei Bi? The voice persisted. You just professed your love to her. So, when is it? The room was silent. Mr. Teo couldn't say anything. Um, I don't usually confide in my wife often. He finally spoke. I mean, everyone has some secrets of his or her own. So what's your secret? Tell us. The voice might have said. <laughs> Mr. Teo Cheng Kiat took a deep breath. His gig was up and he was ready to share everything. You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by One Up Media. I'm your host, Yo Guang Jin. Our partner this week is History Yogi. Be prepared to join your host, Dave, as he shares about each generation's proud and shameful moments. You can follow his newsletter, The History Yogi Post, his podcasts, The History Yogi Podcast, or his TikTok at History Yogi. Back to Heinous. In the last episode, we learned that he felt undervalued by his managers and it seemed that his lack of university qualifications was a reoccurring topic that slowed down his growth. We also learned that he decided it wouldn't affect him anymore because he discovered a crack in the system. At first, we didn't understand. It wouldn't be the first time that his university qualifications were brought up by management. So why would he break his ethics only then? During the period that Mr. Teo joined SIA from 1975 to 1988, he would have experienced the phenomenal progression that Singapore embarked on, especially on its education streaming. Before 1983, Singaporeans could still graduate in a variety of courses from a Chinese language school. That would mean you could learn math or pretty much any subject in school. In fact, many of your more experienced Chinese teachers in school did not necessarily graduate as a Chinese language major. But it could range from engineering to business. What happened in December 1983 was the introduction of the national stream which required all schools to offer English as its first language. And mother tongue 
as its second language by 1987. In effect, it did provide more challenges to Chinese-speaking graduates who would live in an increasingly English-speaking Singapore. Mr. Teo Chengkiet was part of the now-defunct Chinese language system and coupled with his lack of university certification, might have made him feel increasing despair on a hopeful progression within corporate life. In 1987, when he discovered the flaw in SIA's allowance system, he would have to be at 34 years old, needing to support a family that likely consists of a wife at 35, his elder son at 7, and his youngest son at 3 years old. From his perspective, there might have been a lot of inertia to leave SIA to pursue a university certificate, which puts the family of four without an income for four years as he tries to graduate. He would have become more desperate. Till one day, he would trade away his ethics for money. In February 1987, SIA had a particular type of allowance called Meal and Overnight Allowance. It was tax-free and payable only to the cabin crew and is run on the Cabin Crew Allowance System, or CCAS. On the whole, CCAS is managed by the Administration Services Department and within that department sat Mr. Teo Chen Kiat as the cabin crew supervisor. Here's how it works. Within every flight, there will be crew members. These crew members are entitled to meal and transport allowances that are credited to their OUB account directly from SIA's account within the bank. Because Mr. Teo's department would determine the name of the crew member, the amount payable and the receiving bank account number, he could insert more crew members than there actually was to bank accounts that were owned by Mr. Teo himself which was a total of eight accounts. As long as he didn't exceed crediting $5,000 to any one account per payment, he would not be flagged by OUB. Since the actual crew members do not know what is processed on the CCAS, they wouldn't know that there are more people stated on their flight. They would still receive their allowances to their correct bank account. So no one within the cabin crew would know something was wrong. However, Mr. Teo's superior would still expect a daily adjustment report whenever he seeked authorization for payments. So, Mr. Teo simply provided the report with removed fictitious entries and no supporting documents. Given that SIA operates more than 600 flights on a weekly basis, there was no way his two immediate managers could check everything and he would receive approvals on a basis of trust. His managers would tell the court years later that they assumed the internal audit system that was carried out only once every two or three years would be sufficient to flag these out. But how could internal controls detect anything unless they approached each flight charter and contact every single cabin crew to confirm that they were on that flight? he would have successfully migrated his methodology even when the CCAS became computerized in 1996, where it was reported that he could increase the amount claimed exponentially. Mr. Teo 
would continue to systematically insert names into each flight from 1987 to 2000, making a combined total of 35 million across 13 years. The largest case of commercial fraud in the history of Singapore at that time. Over these 13 years, Mr. Teo Cheng Kiat would have siphoned money from SIA on over 400,000 instances. In his mind, he might have felt a twisted sense of vindication, justifying his stealing as a way of getting back at the numerous times SIA stole opportunities from him. With every instance of fraud and every dollar siphoned, he would have felt bolder more daring, more justified in his crime. Until one day, it finally caught up with him. A man sat down on his desk and might have thought to himself, what a day. My head is getting dizzy from checking accounts. It was the 18th of January, 2000. And in the SIA's internal audit department, things were winding down for the day. Hmm, I've still got time. Let me just browse through the accounts. He opened the system and exported the spreadsheet and began browsing through. Let's see. Today is the 18th of January, 2000. Let me just look the past one year. He filtered the sheet and landed on the 15th of January, 1999. Okay, some basic checks before I end my day. Let me count the number of unique payments per day per OUB account. He might have thought as he was typing the formulas into the sheets. Hmm. He rubbed his eyes as he noticed one of the results showed the number 10. There was no way an account could have gotten 10 payments on the same day. He rechecked his formula and pressed enter. The same 10 appeared on the screen. He filtered the columns and saw three line items for three different OUB bank accounts with all the same 10 payments on it. People was starting to leave the office as the day came to an end. The man could see his boss starting to leave as well. Hey boss, the man might have called. His manager picked up his things, headed over and might have replied, yeah, what's happening? You won't believe what I found. Look at this. He pointed to all three line items. Hmm, are you sure? Is your formula correct? The man double-checked nervously before nodding his head. Okay, let's track the accounts, his manager said, seating beside him. They turned the first account ID into the register and found the name pop up. Mr. Teo Cheng Kiet. They turned the second account ID into the register and the same name, Mr. Teo Cheng Kiet. No way, his boss was muttering, before the third account ID showed up. Mr. Teo Cheng Kiet. That day, 
the employee and his manager might not have left on time. Instead, they would have likely triple-checked the results before submitting a report the next day on the 19th of January 2000 to the Commercial Affairs Department or the CAD. They would have titled the email with the words CBT, which stands for Criminal Breach of Trust for an unauthorized amount of about $2 million. Without knowing that their suspect would have transferred over 15 times the amount reported over the past 13 years. According to the records, Judge Taeyong Kwan would be quoted in court saying that the detection came quite fortuitously. By mere chance, Mr. Tiu Cheng Kiat's systematic plan was caught. In Singapore's early years, financial fraud wasn't the biggest challenge to the SPF. Prior to the 1970s, majority of manpower was spent to stop wild gunmen, secret societies and saboteurs that came from beyond our borders. It was a reaction to the environment and societal strife at that time. And naturally, given the increased stability throughout the 70s and 80s with reforms such as the Arms Offences Act and the Misuse of Drugs Act, you can expect the SPF to shift their focus as well. During this period, Singapore would have experienced a tidal wave of rapid economic growth, which led to more complex commercial structures. The SPF would establish the Commercials Crime Division, CCD, which would focus on credit card frauds, get-rich-quick scams, and other forms of cheating. But SPF could not keep up. They needed dedicated people who knew financial and commercial structures, which was why in August 1984, the Revenue Division of the Ministry of Finance established the CAD, Commercial Affairs Department. The CAD was to fill the void that previously left businesses vulnerable to intelligent but twisted individuals. During that period, an idea was seeded. What if we could gather the brightest minds who knew financial and commercial structures by trade, but empower them with the spirit and the heart of the police. So, in 2000, the CAD was dissolved from MOF and was merged with the CCD within the SPF to form the CAD that we know today. These individuals within the CAD are often trained and educated within the finance, economics and law degrees, but empowered by the operational might of the SPF. We believe discussions to form the CAD would have happened before 2000, which also meant that both SPF and MOF would have already been working closely together. But Mr. Tio Cheng Kiat didn't know that. On the 19th of January 2000, a CAD officer would have received the report that ASIA staff may have committed a breach of trust of about $2 million between December 1999 and 15th of January 2000. On that very day, he would have mobilized a team of CAD officers that headed straight down to Bristol Road and apprehended Mr. Tio Cheng Kiat right on the spot. Within his home, they would find incriminating records. 
that affirm their decision of acting fast. A full $34,995,064.55 was embezzled. In the coming weeks, investigations would recover 24 of the $35 million stolen, which thus begs the question, what did Mr. Teo Cheng Kiet do with the missing $11 million? The boutique manager was gathering his staff. Today, Mr. Teo is coming, and our focus is on him. The boutique manager began speaking. He is here to try out his new fitting from our bespoke collection. Everyone knew who Mr. Teo was. He had been known to frequent high fashion boutiques like theirs. The door opened shortly after, and Mr. Teo came walking in. A pleasure to see you, sir. Your suit is at the back, just for you to try it on. The boutique manager walked hastily at the side. But Mr. Teo was on his phone, so he could hardly entertain the manager. But he followed the gesture made towards the end of the store. Yeah, the kitchen sink needs to be the same model that I told you. Mr. Teo was addressing the caller. What do you mean it's tough to obtain everything? The boutique manager was opening the door for Mr. Teo at the VIP fitting room for him to walk in. Just tell me how much it would cost. Hmm, there's probably nothing that he couldn't afford, the boutique manager was thinking, as she carried Mr. Teo's things into the room. $140,000, you say? Mr. Teo spoke to the caller. That's crazy! The boutique manager was trying not to react. Mr. Teo gave a pause before saying, Done. And make sure you do that on both houses. In the 13 years that Mr. Teo embezzled from the SIA, he would spend about $280,000 on two apartments out of the seven private properties that he bought. Two would have been fully paid for. He would also spend about $180,000 on a Mercedes-Benz C200 and a BMW 728iA for $270,570. He would spend another $1.8 million on jewellery, watches and on high-end fashion boutiques. But perhaps what was most appalling was the secret life that he alluded to earlier. As Mr. Teo took his deep breath in court, his mind started fading to a sweet scent. He was in his Mercedes-Benz CLK 320, where he was driving back to one of the five-star hotels that he routinely books in Kuala Lumpur. He was getting a little nervous, and he noticed his palms were sweating. Hits me every time, he might have thought. He adjusted his pants and headed to the elevator. He would have walked straight out into the hallway and towards his room, taking a deep breath before slotting his card into the card holder. Hey darling, he might have said while entering, as a familiar sweet scent guided him towards the bed. All in all, it was recorded that Mr. Teo spent a staggering $8 million 
on his mistress in Malaysia. While it might seem that he loved his wife, he definitely splurged on another. The CAD would acquire and lock all his assets to estimate a resale value of 24 million. The records and the court would criticize that regardless of what instigated Mr. Teo to start embezzling, he did not embezzle out of need, but out of want. Judge Taeyong Kwan, who presided over the case, would have said the accused seemed intoxicated with his lifestyle and should be given sufficient time to sober up again. That, coupled with the 11 million missing, which might guarantee Mr. Teo a good life if he were to serve a shorter sentence, granted Mr. Teo a full 24 years in prison with effect from 19 January 2000. He would have also implicated his wife, or rather, she might have implicated herself by concealing valuables bought from the stolen money. She would be given 18 months jail. From the records, it was hard not to sympathize with Mr. Teo on how he would have seen the world change from his point of view and how he might have felt left behind. But 35 million is opulent amounts of money that would require proportional punishment to the crime. From that day, SIA made many changes to their internal systems and addressed what the CAD called out as lessons learned from SIA's labs. Specifically, CAD called out to every company to observe three things. Number one, to always have verification procedures to approve disbursements of funds. Number two, to spot warning signs, an employee whose lifestyle cannot be supported by his known income. And number three, to conduct random audit checks to prevent and deter experienced employees from exploring loopholes and outsmarting the processes and systems in place. With these measures in place, much of Singapore expected that Mr. Teo Cheng Kiat's act would be the last financial crime of that scale. But we would all be proven wrong in just four years' time. The man was seated in first class and the air stewardess noticed that he had nothing to drink. So, she headed over. Hello, sir. Could I get for you a champagne? She might have asked. Oh, no need. I cannot hold my drink well, the man might have replied. Water is fine. She headed back and brought him a cup of water. He seems pretty wholesome, the air stewardess must have thought as they prepared to arrive to Singapore. The man quickly got off the plane, and as he left, he was sure to say thanks to the air stewardess. He headed out, and a chauffeur came to fetch him. Where are we heading, sir? Well, bring me all the way to Jalan Ahmad Ibrahim, the man might have said. That's far out to the west. I wonder what is he working as? The chauffeur might have thought as he started the car and headed straight there. They arrived at 459 Jalan Ahmad Ibrahim and was greeted by big 
Metal Vets. Oh, he works in Asia-Pacific breweries, the chauffeur was thinking as he turned in. The man said his thanks to the driver before heading straight to work. He would have entered APB's doors, sat down, and began working as a finance manager. According to the records, one of his co-workers would have called him unremarkable, and others would call him a quiet manager who was nondescript. Quite possibly, he could have left that day without many people realizing that he even came to work. But this man was about to outbeat one Mr. Teo Cheng Kiat embezzled that would lead to a 10-year saga of court settlements after his conviction. In the next episode, we'll learn who the man is and a chance event that set him down a spiraling journey of fraud. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by One Up Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, you can reach out to us via email at heinous at oneupmediapodcast.com or through our Instagram or TikTok page at heinous underscore oneupmedia. This episode of Heinous was researched, produced, and written by Yo Guang Jin with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks as well to executive producers Danny Cordy, Barry Toh from Mediacorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous. 